Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. Okay, here's a game that's good for road trips or uh, campfires or even sitting in an airport waiting for a flight, sort of anywhere a small group of people needs to pass a little time and they don't mind acting mildly silly in public. So you start um, by establishing a beat so that you um, don't have time for the um, 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 um stuff that comes along with any kind of free association, which is what this is. And the first person says a word, any word. And then the next person says whatever word free associates into their head. And then the whole group repeats the two words, followed by doodly do. So it goes like this. Lost, found, lost, found, doodly do. And you keep going around the circle so that it's uh, the first person might say dog, cat, dog, cat, doodly do, ham, cheese, ham, cheese, doodly do. And as you play it, the words get wackier and the pace gets faster and it's actually a lot more fun than you look like you think it is. In particular, I think of playing it with um, a friend of ours, uh, Carl, who is a professional clown and has just a knack for the incongruous. And so uh, when we're playing with Carl, the first person said, fish. And instead of chips or ocean, Carl says, skyscraper. (laughs) Fish, skyscraper, doodly-doo. And then the next person serves up, Pancakes, not syrup, not bacon, hammer, pancakes, hammer, pancakes, hammer, doodly do. The incongruity of it still makes me kind of giggle. Well, today we will hear Jesus present an incongruity that Carl might envy. You see, when someone uses the word repentance, your free association probably wouldn't be the word joy. But that's the connection that today's gospel reading wants us to make, and I want us to explore why. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, there are two groups of people. One group is tax collectors and sinners. Now, the tax collectors had three strikes against them. First, they worked for the Romans, so they were traitors. Second, the system was incredibly um, corrupt, so they enriched themselves at the expense of others. And third, they encountered, they dealt with um, Gentiles, so they were ritually unclean. And then there's sinners. And sinners is a broader category. It just covers everyone whose violations of the law of Moses are publicly known. So basically, society's convicted criminals. So tax collectors and sinners are pariahs. The second group of people are the Pharisees and the scribes, and they are the religious folks, the churchgoers, the wearers of serious robes. And Luke depicts us 
harumphing and tisk-tisking as this hodgepodge of outcasts draw near to this rabbi named Jesus. And so Jesus periodically tells little stories just for us. Today we hear two parables from him, each followed by a dash of interpretation, a dash of interpretation that links repentance with joy. This is the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with the first verse. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So apparently Jesus wants us good church-going folks to repent of however it is that we may be lost from God. And this must matter to God because repentance sparks joy in heaven, which just does not fit with my sense of the word joy, of this word repentance. When I encounter the word repent, I tend to think harshly of some modern-day want to be John the Baptist bothering the tourists in Times Square, which is pretty much the opposite of joyful. The word repent has been so hijacked that even if I manage to get past that weird guy in Times Square, even if I manage to hear Jesus calling us to repentance, even then, repent is as joyless a word as I know. It sounds stern and judgy and scoldy and puritanical. And yet Jesus links it with joy. As your pastor, I welcome the opportunity for us to focus together on joy. The pandemic still weighs on the world. Divisiveness ginned up for political gain makes life less enjoyable, and some of us are heavy with recent griefs. And so a good dose of joy is due. And this text serves it up, using the word over and over. I hope you heard that. And we'll get to joy in just a few minutes. 
But first, this text serves up losing and searching and finding. The text serves these up as precursors, maybe even as prerequisites to rejoicing. Repenting is directly linked with rejoicing, but first there's losing and searching and finding. Now, those are common concepts. We all have stories of lost luggage, misplaced keys, searching for sunglasses that are actually on top of our heads the whole time. And then there are those times when you had to engage in a more significant search. I know Clark remembers when we were at the departure gate at the Seattle airport with five-year-old Malcolm and two-year-old Ethan, and suddenly Ethan was lost. And we searched, and we found him. Longest moments of my life, I think, followed by great rejoicing. Luggage, keys, sunglasses, two-year-old. Each of these may be lost and found and rejoiced over, but none of them actually tries to get lost. It just happens. And that's one of the ways we may come to feel lost from God. I mean, it can happen almost accidentally. You know, you didn't hear Jesus say, the sheep, the coin, and all y'all are deliberately lost from God. So maybe he's suggesting that his audience has gotten lost without really knowing it. Maybe that's the case for some of us, too. There is also, however, the reality of trying to get lost from God's notice. Here's another story from my days of parenting toddlers. Maybe a year after that harrowing trip through the Seattle airport, Ethan uh, developed a way of trying to be lost. Whenever he was doing something that he knew he was not supposed to be doing, he would say, don't see me, mommy. He would say this when he was playing with his older brother's toys. He said this when he shut the cat in the dryer. (laughs) And he would say this when, stark naked, he was making a break for the front door so that he could go out on the front porch and do what only a little boy can do off the edge of the porch and into the front yard. (laughs) Don't see me, mommy. It's a cute story. Far cuter than how we grown-ups get lost from God. And that's where repentance comes in. And it's related to searching. Today's two lost and found parables are often interpreted as God diligently searching for us. And I do not doubt that God does seek us, thanks be to God. I mean, that's the plot line of the Bible. But in these parables, it's the shepherd who lost the sheep and the woman who lost the coin. And I struggle to see that God has lost us. More than a sheep or a coin ever could, we are the ones doing the getting lost. So I'm wondering if we are meant to do some of the searching, if searching is part of repenting. In the wake of Queen Elizabeth's death, you may have encountered the sentiment along the lines of, it's fine to mourn this dignified, good-hearted individual woman, but don't romanticize the violent, 
exploitative, colonizing empire of which she was a product. I've even heard calls for this time of transition to be a time of self-examination, which is to say searching, and for, yes, repentance. And I think also of our Sunday school season that we've embarked upon, in which we're learning about indigenous peoples and the impact on them of Christianity. I wonder if that curriculum, like America's broader racial reckoning, will prompt soul searching and even repentance from us as a church. But we can start with ourselves. Engaging with this text, I seated myself in the big rocking chair in the corner of our sunroom. It's what's known as my prayer chair. And I awkwardly brought before God the question of what do I need to repent? Like most of us, I most readily acknowledge repentance sort of in the abstract. You know, humans are sinful, and therefore we need to repent and receive God's forgiveness. That's why every Sunday our liturgy includes a prayer of confession and an assurance of forgiveness. Sure, okay, whatever. And there's the problem. Whatever. I can't turn away from something, and that's what repentance means, turn away from I can't meaningly, meaningfully turn away from something that I have not recognized in particular. So let that be heard by those contemplating the Queen's history and by those quashing the teaching of American history. But back to the individual. I sat in my prayer chair trying to identify what I needed to repent of. In what ways have I gotten lost from God. Initially, I thought of stuff that I, I guess you'd say, regret. Things that I regret doing or not doing. That's fine, but regretting is not repenting. Not by a long shot. Regretting is merely what my friend Rick meant when he said, my one regret in life is the day that I wore my new cashmere sweater and didn't take an umbrella. That's regret. Repentance is way deeper, bigger, harder. To get beyond regret and dig all the way down to repentance requires the sort of diligent effort expended by the shepherd and the woman in today's parables. It's that kind of going to great lengths of an all-out search. If you really search, leaving behind the distraction of other sheep, lighting a lamp, sweeping the corners, looking past the clutter of regret, you will find what you need to repent of. You will find whatever has you feeling lost from God. Then you can repent of however it is you are lost from God, and then you discover joy. I told you we'd get there. Because there is a lightening, a lifting of existential burden that occurs when you identify and begin turning away 
from whatever it is that's let you feel lost from God. There is indeed holy joy because to repent of something that you've buried that deeply is to make progress being who God intends you to be. And there's joy in that. Perhaps you've heard the story of John Newton, the man best known for a poem that includes the line, I once was lost, but now am found. Newton was a slave trader who, after several near-death experiences, came to faith. Yet in this far from tidy story, he still persisted in profiting from slavery. Eventually, he left that brutal trade, yet it was still decades before he spoke out against it. After finally joining the abolitionist movement, Newton wrote, I hope it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. Okay, that's repentance. And he also wrote a verse of amazing grace that we rarely sing. A gracious savior seen by faith, a sense of pardoning love, a hope that triumphs over death, gives joys like those above. That's the kind of joy found when we repent of how we are lost from God. That's Newton's story of repentance and joys. What's yours? What's ours? If you actually search, you will find whatever it is that you need not merely to regret, but to repent of. And then it will no longer seem incongruous to say, repentance, joy, repentance, joy, Alleluia. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.